Welcome back to Pursuing Justice. We are speaking with our guest, Jim McCloskey, and he's been our guest these last two weeks sharing his lifelong commitment to wrongful incarceration. The measure of his success is Centurion Ministries, an organization he created in 1983 to help those wrongly accused of crimes who are serving time in prison. What always strikes me about a wrongful incarceration is that while an innocent person is locked up, someone who is guilty is free, free to commit the same crimes all over again. So Jim, I do want to discuss how that happens, um, that you know, this phenomenon, as I call it, is uh, when a, a person is convicted and sent to prison, um, you know, the factors that, that are part of that. But before we get into that, and we also are going to talk uh, a little bit about your, your book, um, we finished the last podcast. Uh, we were kind of midway, I guess, uh, about a case that you were um, in very involved in. So if you would recap yeah. that for us, that would be really great. Okay. <clears throat> in the, uh, in uh, Conroe, Texas, in 1980, um, a, a, a lovely young high school student who was the manager of a volleyball team visiting Conroe High School a week before school was to start in late August of 1980. She wandered the, uh, the, the large high school uh, and looking for a restroom and disappeared. What happened was when she came upon three janitors who were waiting for their supervisor, who was the only African-American in the group, uh, uh, or the only African-American janitor was the supervisor, Clarence Brandley. He wasn't there when she arrived looking for, when she encountered these three, uh, these three other janitors. So uh, she asked for a restroom, and what happened was two of the three janitors grabbed her impulsively and dragged her into the restroom, sexually assaulted her, strangled her to death, mm. and uh, buried her body in, a, in the auditorium of the high school just across the way. Um, anyway, um, the witness, uh, where we left it last time was that in the course of my investigation on, um, uh, that, that, met, that had its ups and downs, by March 17th, 1987, that's St. Patty's Day. I'll never forget that St. Patty's Day of that year because uh, we, the defense team, and I, we were able to convince the, the one of the star, one of the the third janitor who had testified falsely against Clarence in his trial to recant his testimony. Not only did he recant and admit that he lied, but he was an eyewitness to the crime as these two other janitors, to his shock. Mm. grabbed the girl and took her into the restroom and, and did what they did to her. And meantime, while they're doing that, she's screaming for help. And he, much to his own uh, dis dismay, he, he, as, he, as he told us, I guess I had a little bit of rabbit in me, and he ran away from her mm. screams for help. Anyway, we find him. Uh, we develop a relationship with him. He starts telling this story in bits and pieces. And finally, on St. Patty's Day, 
he told the whole sort of story of who did what to her as he observed this. Uh, and so he realized by recanting that two things are going to happen. He is going to um, come clean. He was, for all these years, he's, he's having nightmares because he let an innocent girl go to her death without trying to help or save her. And on top of that, he sent an innocent man to death row who's going to be executed in nine days. Oh. He gave us a statement. Now, since uh, um, 60 Minutes, uh, Patty Hassler, the producer, she was just starting a story on the work of Centurion. But then we bring John Henry Sesson, the recanting eyewitness uh, <clears throat> on the Bramley case, forward. She switches over, which was great. So instead of doing a story on the Klutzky, she's doing a story on the Clarence Bradley case. And uh, she and I convinced John, the, the recanting witness, John Sessom, it's one thing to tell attorneys and to give a videotape, but it's another thing to tell the to admit to the world that you allowed an innocent girl to go to her death and you put an innocent man on prison, to admit that. But he did. And he and I talked about how Cheryl Ferguson, the victim, and, the, and God are looking down on him, and he can redeem, he can redeem Clarence, but at the same time redeem himself by coming forward and telling the truth, which is what he did. 60 minutes, 60 minutes around this story. With that, all hell broke loose as far as the prosecution's case. It just fell completely apart. We had a major evidence. We got a, a change of venue. We got out of Conroe. We got a new judge. The whole bench was recused. We got a visiting judge from West Texas. We had a. Uh, we switched the evidence here hearing um, to uh, Galveston, Texas. We brought 43 witnesses forward. Long story short. Long story short. In <clears throat> at the conclusion of the evidentiary hearing, the judge, Judge Pickett, a great man. Uh, said, I am recommending, I have never seen such a case of witness intimidation, racial prejudice, uh, misconduct by law enforcement people who lost sight of, of what their responsibilities are. Um, and I'm recommending that Mr. Branley get a new trial. Now, that was in, that was in, in, in that decision formally came down in November of 87. It took, but Clarence was still on death row because the district attorney refused to admit that they made a mistake. They appealed the judge's decision and fought us tooth and nail until finally the high court in Texas uh, confirmed the judge's uh, decision and uh, instated and vacated the conviction. The U.S. Supreme Court, to whom the DA appealed, refused to hear it. And finally, on January 23rd, 1990, some mm. year and a half, two years after that evidentiary hearing, we walked Clarence Branley free off of death row and brought him home, an exonerated man. Um, what a story. Why, why is it? Because um, as a board member, former board member of Innocence Project of Florida, I would hear our executive director say this all the time. Why the fight and the pushback from the uh, people who, you know, uh, had the case in the first place, the prosecution? Why, why is such a fight? 
to prevent um, an innocent man uh, from, you know, going to his death. Well, not only that, and I'll, I'll get into that, but I also want to point out, uh, and we have a, a number of cases that demonstrate this point, not only that, we know who the real killers are, the two yeah. janitors. Mm-hmm. And the judge said that in his opinion. And yet, and they, they took one of those two janitors, they took both janitors under their wing and tried to protect them from these you know, this, this, what they claim to be false evidence against them, which wasn't false at all. Um, anyway, uh, so, but why did he do that? Yeah, why? First of all, first of all, the trial prosecutor of Clarence Bradley was the elected DA at the time. And by the time of the evidentiary hearing, he was the presiding judge of that county, Montgomery mm-hmm. County, where Conroe was. So the his successor as district attorney, who was also part of the office, but not part of the original Brantley prosecution, wanted to protect his predecessor, who's now the, the uh, most influential judge in that county. So they fought us tooth and nail to protect him and his reputation and their office's reputation that they put an innocent man on death row who came within, as it turned out, six days of, uh, days. of execution. That's right. Not only that, but. You know, but they just district attorneys so often, not all the time. We have a number of exceptions. Yeah. They refuse to admit that they are wrong. They, they made, a, made mistake. a mistake. Right. They right. made a mistake. We apologize. They never, hardly ever do they apologize, even when right. they're exonerated. That's you don't true. get a formal apology nope. from the powers to be. And also, they're, uh, another factor, I guess. Uh, it's tough for me to put myself in their minds because I don't understand it really myself. Uh, they're afraid of uh, civil suits and, uh, uh, you know, the, the county getting hit up for millions of dollars of, for wrongful prosecution. Yeah, yeah, that could be. Now, let me, here's another thing. Harry, here's another thing. Mm-hmm. And again, we, we have a number of cases that demonstrate this. And, and the Clarence family is one of them. Not only... Not only do they fight you tooth and nail, but they let the real killers go and they use the real killers as the star witnesses against the innocent oh, defendant. No. Oh, no. And that happened in the Bramley case. I, I talked about uh, Sesame and the recantation, but one of the two killers, his name is Gary, uh, Gary Ackerman. I'm not bashful about that. It's public knowledge. Gary Ackerman was, a, was one of the janitors who testified against Clarence Bramley. At his trial. Remarkable. Absolutely. It's just. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what, infuriate, that's what yeah. infuriates me oh, when, yeah. uh, when, you, when you see. And, you know, I, it, we have freed over the years, over the last 40 years, mm-hmm. we have been fortunate enough with a lot of good people working, both our staff, our volunteers, our outside forensic experts, Paul Castellero, the lead lawyer, as well as other attorneys across the country. We've been able to free 64 innocent people, all of whom were serving life or death sentences mm. for the crimes of others, who collectively have spent 1,350 years in prison mm. for somebody else's crime. Uh, that is a number that you really have to reckon with. It's, it's hard to imagine 
that you're talking in, in numbers that large. Uh, and we know, we know it's true. We know it's true. I mean, if you look at the whole country, uh, I think right now there must be way over, what, 2,500 people across yeah, the nation yeah, I, since we've right, been I keeping records. Yeah, yeah the, the, the National Registry of Exonerations, yeah. Uh, yeah. they have been keeping, they have documented all the exonerations in America that have, that have taken place that's since right. 1989. That's and, right. and that's uh, not that far back. It's, it's well, no, no, it's, not, it's well over 2,600. But yes. that's just the surface. It There's is. many, many more uh, men and women who have been exonerated, and, and maybe the, uh, the, the, the registry, they don't know about them, or a lot of uh, thousands of people, in my view, in my view, uh, thousands of people are buried in prison for the crimes of others. Yeah. Who have not yet, whose cases have not seen the light of day, That's or right. if they are, you know, they're still being uh, litigated uh, throughout the courts of America. That's right. Yeah. How, how I had asked you this before, and we'll swing back to it. How many requests do you get in the space yeah. of a year? Right, right. We document everyone because we respond to everyone. Since 1992, well, going back to uh, when Kate first joined me, and then let's say 90, 1990, we were getting like 500 requests for help. Mm -hmm. uh, Barry Sheck started his operation in 92. Mm -hmm. uh, in 1992, Barry just started out. We've mm -hmm. been in business for 12 years. And from that point on, we get anywhere from 1,100 to 1,500 new requests mm -hmm. for help from people we never heard of before. So the letters just pour in uh, to the offices of, of Centurion. And, um, you know, over the years, uh, we've developed a system for, for vetting the cases and doing our best to, to select those that, uh, <clears throat> that um, have the best merit to them and deserve our attention. Uh, it's, it's a tough decision to make at times because, in a way, you're playing God. Which yes, cases you are you going to start be <laughs> And, and so, um, but anyway, we have, uh, at any given time, we have 20 uh, volunteers, most of whom are adults in the community mm -hmm. from various walks of life. And uh, long story short, the way this works is if you are in prison and you write us a letter claiming to be innocent, it takes us a good three, sometimes longer, five, three to five years to vet your case. And what we do, uh, we have a, a constant correspondence with the inmate, ask him or her a ton of questions, put them on record. Uh, we accumulate over time the entire written record of the case, um, trial transcripts, post-conviction hearings, legal briefs, police reports, you name it, forensic reports, whatever exists. And uh, our, our volunteers and staff uh, review uh, these Case, case uh, summaries are written up. Uh, staff members, along with the volunteer who's developing the particular case, have meetings and discuss the pros and cons of all different uh, types of cases that are rising to the, to the front burner. And then the last step in selecting a case is, um, well, is, is we go into the prison and for the first time interview extensively the prospective uh, centurion client. Mm -hmm. By that time, we have reviewed the entire record of the case. We we have we really uh, 
unless something is developed in the interview, we've come to believe that they're innocent. But we're also we're also um, another important element in, in our selection process is what kind of people are these folks who got wrongly arrested, accused, and convicted? What kind of life did they leave before this happened to them? Were they violent men or women? We don't mm-hmm. like we don't take cases where people have, been, have a violent violent history at all. What kind of what kind of uh, by the time we come along, they've been imprisoned from the from when we start to develop to when we commit to a case, they've been in prison for 15, 20 years. What have they done with their time since they've been in prison? How serious are they in investing and doing the hard work required in prison to prepare themselves for life outside prison should we be able to, to free them? Um, and, uh, you know, so, so there's a lot of factors that go into it. And, and right now, at, at any particular time, Centurion, has about uh, you know 20, 20, 20 concurrent cases that we're that we're working on across the country. At the same time, yeah, that's a lot. At the same time, yes, yeah, yes, that's a lot yes, to right, right. Yeah, it's really remarkable. Now, I'm, I don't want to run out of time and not um, talk a little bit about your, your wonderful book, which I just adored. I listened to it. People can buy the book or. Um, buy an audio book or rent an audio book. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about how you came to write the book and if we have some time, maybe read a passage from the book? Yeah, I appreciate that opportunity, Harriet. Yes. Okay. Uh, first of all, I think it's important for the, for the listening audience to know that after 35 years of starting and managing as the executive director Centurion, I decided to step away from the day-to-day management to retire, if you will, or step away from the day-to-day management of Centurion. And I turned that over to Kate Germond, who in turn has turned it over to our new ED, Corey Waldron. Um, and so I did that for several reasons. When I retired, I, I stayed on the board where I, I'm still on Centurion's board. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also, I also kept seven of the cases that I had been working on for a number of years prior to my retirement in May of 2015. And I like to, I'm happy to say that five of those seven have been freed during my quote unquote retirement years. Uh, that's uh, so, so I have two cases I'm still working on, but most of the hard work has been accomplished uh, uh, on those cases. And we're, <clears throat> we're in court right now. Um, and uh, so what, but what, what my now my vision, my my dream, which I've had for a long time, is to step aside so I can write this book. And uh, because you know, listen, we've been at this for forty years. We like to think we have a a pretty good story to tell. <clears throat> we have a lot of material from which to draw to uh, comment on the state of affairs in our criminal justice system to describe the. Uh, uh, the difficulties in freeing the innocent and some of the barriers and, uh, that, that, that you run into uh, in terms of attempting to do this. Um, and also, <clears throat> I thought it was important to, as did Doubleday, the, the publisher, to describe to the, to the readers uh, my own personal journey, which we've mm-hmm. gone into in these three, three podcasts. Right. Uh, what led me into this, into this work and, and uh, what did 
how did we uh, we develop uh, Centurion as an organization? Uh, some of the difficulties and challenges that we faced doing that. In other words, the writer is Jim McCloskey, but I I want to point out my co-writer was Philip Lerman. Mm-hmm. Now Philip is a professional writer, and he did a great. We work really well together. Uh, a lot of people have told us it's a very readable uh, page turner, and, and I I attribute a lot of that writing skill. Uh, give it the flavor uh, to, to fill. Uh, so we worked very well together. I'm the content guy, and he would write a draft of a chapter based on the information I gave him, and then we would trade drafts back and forth. But the fluidity of the of the read is uh, a lot of the credit goes to Phil. Um, so anyway, I, I wanted to I wanted to tell Centurion the, the Centurion story as well because we're not well known. We're really under the radar. As you say, we were the first ones to do this, and we're doing it for a number of years before Barry and others have come along. Mm-hmm. I think right now in the U.S. there's something like 55 quote-unquote innocence projects. Right. Plus, finally, uh, district attorney's office are setting up conviction integrity units looking at right. convictions where there might be an innocent person wrongly convicted in their in their jurisdiction. So um, I just – and also I wanted to educate the public. You know, where I was 40 years ago, right. believing that we have a uh, almost a flawless um, criminal justice, justice that, that, that the courtroom verdicts in criminal cases are almost universally accurate, mm. when in fact, so yeah. many of them are inaccurate and wrong for a variety of reasons. And I wanted this book to tell that story and give the general public insights into how uh, the criminal justice system leaves a lot to be desired. And and you do accomplish that. Now, if before we we wrap up, which we have to do shortly, um, can people uh-huh. just look up um, online uh, Centurion Ministries? Is that that's yeah, it? And they, yeah, they'll that's find that, the that's website. All, that's, all, that's it. That's all they have to do is Good. look up Centurion. Go uh, Go, excuse me. Sure. Go to our, um, you know, go, go to our website, and uh, we have all kinds of information easily obtainable on on the internet. Ah, that's great. That's and they can read about our staff, our history, <clears throat> some of our cases. My throat's getting a little. Right. Here. Excuse me. That's a, our share. Take a drink. I I I, okay. I wish so much that we could talk about reentry because that's well in a, in a way um, our next guest is is going to to cover that. Um, let me just say while you get your throat working again that we're going to have Richard Miles who happens to be an exoneree that you helped you and Centurion helped. He lives in Texas. And he is a CNN hero. Those of you who watch that program on CNN uh, every year, um, remarkable man. And I think he will talk to us probably about um, the difficulty of reentry, which uh, is so such a hard thing to come out of prison. And the world you left behind is not the world you're coming back into. So uh, Richard is going to take us on that journey and also uh, what he did uh, to form his own organization to help others. So that, that is our yeah. next uh, next podcast. Go ahead. And, and let me just say, 
let me just say something very quickly about sure. Richard and, and cut me off. We're running out of time. Okay. He was com- through our work and the work of a great Dallas lawyer, Cheryl Watley, um, and I might add the Dallas District Attorney's Office, their mm. Conviction Integrity Unit. Oh, uh, uh, R- Richard was completely exonerated in the throughout the judicial system of Texas. He was declared to be an actually innocent man based on the new evidence that we developed that demonstrated that the prosecutor suborned perjury in his case and that the police had the identity of the real killer and hid that because they had already they had already brought Richard. uh, They were in the process of bringing Richard to trial and they didn't want to backtrack on that. So um, uh, I I give a Oh yeah, that happens. Wow. That happens a lot. Too much. It happens a lot. It's it's just you know the thing is the, the the police want to clear their cases. They want to make themselves look good by quote unquote solving their homicides. Prosecutors want to if you're a prosecutor you want to you want to uh, uh, get a conviction. Uh, <clears throat> and if you don't get convictions and and you go back to the office without one, uh, you're not recognized for having the ability you should have. And, you lose stature in the office, that kind of a thing. Um, but nevertheless, Richard was fully exonerated, and uh, we started work for now. His he he spent 15 years for a Dallas murder he didn't do. Right, and he's going to tell and, us about um, that. Yeah. yeah, he'll tell you about that. But I, I I want your listeners when they're initially listening in to realize they're listening to a completely innocent man who, at the age of 19 was framed by the Dallas police and the prosecutor's office and spent 15 years in prison for something somebody else did. And that, and that is the story that repeats itself over and over and over again. Well, and, Jim, and over again, yeah. Yeah, this has been yeah. such a, a treat for me and for our listeners to hear your story about the formation of... Um, your wonderful organization, Centurion Ministries, and I hope that people will learn a great deal from these three podcasts. And then Richard being the uh, the proof of what you have devoted your life to. So I must say thank you so much for your time and your devotion to those who are innocent. We, we thank you so much. Well, thank you, uh, Harriet. I really appreciate pursuing your podcast, pursuing justice to to uh, include us in the thank stories you. that you want your listeners to know. So thank you very much. I really appreciate and enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you again. And we'll see you next time on Pursuing Justice. Thank you.